0: You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Hello. Hey, that was an interesting hello. (laughs) I think (laughs) everyone, including me, is going to notice that.
1: Oh, man. (laughs) 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 Uh, I just never quite know how to begin the podcast. I feel like that's something that most people probably have scripted out, we do not.
0: mm, I prefer that we don't. In fact, I never
1: want to. There we go. It's settled. Yeah, I listen to a lot of, I mean,
0: a lot of, I have a problem. I listen to like three to four hours of podcasts daily, and it's always like a rambly, weird, like you just stepped into a conversation, and then like, oh yeah, and here's what we're talking, I don't know. It just feels very personable, and I'm desperate to feel personable, (laughs) because I'm so... (laughs) off-putting so if i can fool a bunch of listeners (laughs) now welcome to the rise
1: and church podcast oh wow ethan said the thing yeah that's where we are today we're doing a sort of an an ask me anything we put a we put a thing out there and we have like three questions three good ones hopefully we can answer briefly Yes. I say hopefully because, man, well, they're not simple questions. It's and- not like there's
0: a singular formulaic answer.
1: Yeah, that's know? true.
0: And that's the beauty. And that is true. They didn't ask for a single formulaic answer. They
1: asked for a take on it. That's correct. And we're oh, going to provide a take. What a wonderful perspective, Ethan.
0: I'm trying to be personable. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, what what What's
0: up first? Well, our first question comes from—I'm just kidding. We don't know. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? Oh, I should start assigning, like, absurd— Like, our first question comes from Anton (laughs) Shagur. Which no one will get unless they listen to that episode of The Creative Commentary. So, uh, to business. What can I do to help figure out God's calling for me? Slash, slash. I love the double slash. I don't know if they did it, but it's how it is in front of me. What can I do until I know?
1: That. That is a good one. And a very difficult question to answer. That goes straight back to my childhood. Like, this anxiety reaches deep. It does reach deep. And this is, I think, a particularly difficult question because I think the answer can be so different depending on who is asking it and what stage of life they're in and under the circumstances that they're asking that question for instance and I know the person who asked this is not in this life circumstance but if someone say theoretically came up to me and said I'm just tired of being married man like my wife what a drag so shame you know I think I want to get a divorce but I just don't know what what's God's will for me and that well the answer to that is easy and clear and I will give that to you in no uncertain terms. God's will for you is to be strong (laughs) about it, suck it up and stay in the marriage. Yeah, the
0: the Lord laid out that answer. We don't have to. Yeah,
1: the Lord clearly stated, as my brother Johnny would say, he clearly stated in the ancient texts. (laughs) uh, You're called to endure through that moment of not feeling like you want to be in the marriage as Christ endured for his bride, the church, because God's clearly spoken about that in passages like Ephesians 5.25 or Matthew 19.6. Jesus said, whatever God has joined together, let not man separate, talking about husband and wife. Mm. So just as an example, if you're asking what God's will is in a situation like that, it's very clear, right? very clear. But most of the time, I think that question is asked from an honest place by people who genuinely want to honor the Lord. They genuinely want to follow him and obey him and they love him. And they're just trying to figure out what the next step is in a season of transition at a time when perhaps the way forward isn't as clear as it was maybe, you know a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. So I think I have conversations of that nature, around what college should I go to? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? What kind of career should I pursue?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: All very open-ended questions that God hasn't necessarily spelled out specifically in His Word. You're not going to find exactly a passage of Scripture that says, "Dear Ethan Bolton, oh, no. you know, in the Book of Everyone you know, can read <laughs> it. No, right. Isn't that haunting? <laughs> Wouldn't that be? Uh, everything about that, like everything that David did in Scripture, basically is laid out for us to remember we and know, read boy, about.
0: We know about. You David,
1: yeah, we know about Bathsheba, bro. Oh, gosh, yeah, oh, wolf. I'm glad I was not me, but point being. I think that question is being asked in regards to God's specific will yeah,
0: for I mean, their life. That's what I always found myself thinking, wondering yeah. about.
1: Right. And especially, I mean, high school, college age, I think oh, especially, yeah. that's a real pertinent life question. Mm-hmm. So without getting into all the specific circumstances that could possibly exist around this kind of a question, here is some general guidance that I would offer based on scripture, okay? Okay. Without knowing all this. I (laughs) want to make that very clear. This is not some, it's not a specific answer to a specific scenario. This is a general answer to a general kind of a question.
0: Which means you can all apply it. It's not just limited to the singular person who asks the question.
1: Right. So, in general, we are given a lot of freedom when it comes to that question. Mm-hmm. There isn't necessarily an expectation or a stipulation laid out in scripture that you need to make your decision based on a scroll handed down to you from the heavens that will have you know very specific step-by-step guidance for what you need to do next. Which would be wonderful and lovely if that were the case. Oh, yeah. But that is not how it is typically laid out in scripture. That's actually not normal. (laughs) Exactly. Contrary perhaps to our thoughts on this. In fact, in the book of Acts, when the church is just getting on its legs, you will very often read that when a major decision has to be made or when say Paul is thinking about where to go next on his missionary journeys, Mm -hmm. most often what happens is the people will pray and then they just make a decision and they just decide something and they just go with it. It is very rare, like in the case of Paul, that the spirit of God specifically intervenes and says, don't go here. That is very f- very rare, I find actually. That
0: terribly reassuring.
1: Yeah, terribly reassuring. Yeah, that's like a great <laughs> phrase for it, I think. Um, why? I'm curious. Well, okay,
0: so on one hand, what you described makes it very relatable. I mean, that feels very true to life. Yeah. I think many times we pray about things, I mean, fervently. Yeah. And we don't have some, you know, well-divined answer mm-hmm. delivered to us. We just have to, like, use what wisdom is at our disposal, what we can judge to be, like, the best choice yeah. and prayerfully go with it. Yeah. Time is not always on our side. Right. So— the fact that, I mean, we see this in such a, an important point in scripture,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that's actually very reassuring on a number of levels.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And so here in my own life are two questions that when I'm faced with a decision like this that I've gone to, and they're very generic I guess is a way you could describe them. And I'm sure that if you read other people, they would give you more detailed questions to ask. But these are the two that when I'm thinking like, I'm going to be immobilized unless I make a decision. Like I'm just going to sit here and keep thinking about it and thinking about it. And the yeah. more you tend to ruminate on things, the worse it tends to get, oh, honestly. Yeah, like yes. Most of the time, excessive thought, to paraphrase the author of Ecclesiastes, is not good. <laughs> like You will eventually spiral into despair. So here's a two-question grid that I kind of process these moments through. The first is, and it's starting from the negative end, which I understand we don't normally like, but I think it's where you have to kind yeah, of start. let's start. So when you're thinking through a decision like this, you're trying to discern God's will. The first question I ask is, is it sinful according to scripture? Like, is this thing that I'm about to do, would God look at that and say, no, that's sinful? Mm. That is obviously a no. I feel like Scripture's pretty clear about that. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, you have, I, I mean, clear. you know, 1 John saying, you know, little children, keep yourself from idols and all throughout the Old Testament. I, that That's pretty clear. Yeah. If it is sinful, do not do it. So, if just as an example, the decision is, man, I want to know what God's will for me is in regards to this job, and the job involves extorting people <laughs> for money. <laughs> no, the answer is no. If it involves joining the mob, <laughs> it's a no from me. It is no. The second question is, coming back to something you said, is it wise hmm. according to Scripture? Yeah. And I add that caveat very specifically because there will sometimes be things that you should do. Or that you maybe want to do decisions that you'll make that may appear foolish to the world, that may seem ridiculous. Oh, okay, yeah. I see you know what, what I'm you're saying? saying? Like, the world would not look at you and say, taking your family to a third world country to do missions work. Is wise. That does not appear wise. However, that is the kind of foolishness of God, to quote Paul, that is wise and that if you feel like that's what we're going to do and the family's on board with it, we're going to go. Okay, then that's the kind of thing that God is very supportive of, of yeah. going to the nations and making disciples. So that's a second question that you should ask. And so I'll process this through a decision I made when I was at Liberty, okay, okay? as a more concrete example. Yeah, yeah. I went to Liberty University, studied pastoral leadership, wanted to do that to become a pastor, yeah, right? Need a very specific kind of education to <laughs> right. do that. Liberty is a very expensive school. Right. I had to figure out how to pay for it because I had lots of scholarships, but just not enough to cover Liberty. Yeah. Very expensive. So one of the choices that was presented to me was join the military to pay for it. So I was like, okay. Okay let's process this. Like, is this God's will for me? Cause I was really wrestling like, eh, does God want me to join the military? I prayed fervently about it and I didn't have a well-defined answer. Yeah. I didn't have some, you know, scroll from the clouds or a voice saying, <laughs> you know, yes, do it. I just wasn't, I wasn't sure. So I was like, all right, well, is it sinful? No. No. Not sinful to join the military, all right? Romans 13 says God has ordained government to bear the sword. It's like, okay, I'm fine with that. That's good. It's not sinful. Is it wise, according to scripture? Now, I did not necessarily want to join the military. It was like, like that's the last. yeah, Yeah, The conventional wisdom, and I hesitate to use that term, I think that the secular world acknowledges it's not wise, but most people just take student loans to get through school, right? Yeah. And like it's just, okay, that's what everyone does, and it's, you know, not a big deal.
0: It's normalized.
1: Yeah. I didn't want to do that, though. Yeah, it's preferable so, not to. Right. Actually, Scripture says, you know, if you can avoid debt, don't be indebted to people. So I'm like, okay. So then I'm looking, okay, the military is offering to pay for school. They'll give me all these benefits. So is it wise to meet that end? Yes. All right. I'm not clear on it, but I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Unless God, like expressly forbids me if like something comes up in my assessment and it's like, you can't join the military. I'm like, I'll take that as a pretty clear sign. But I did join. I served six years and I got through school and I look back on those experiences fondly and God used those moments in the military in formative ways in my own life. And so that's how I processed that. And looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, I couldn't imagine my life in spite of even the hardships that that brought and the yeah. frustrations it brought. Because it wasn't something else to clarify.
0: Please do, because I actually have a point to wedge into this. Okay.
1: That does not mean that it all went smoothly or that it was all fun or it was yeah. all, you know, flowers and rainbows and meadows. There were moments where I was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. But looking back, clearly it was formative. And of course. God used it in ways that I couldn't have imagined at the time.
0: Well, okay, that's a point of hope that I was not about to deliver. So listeners, keep that in mind. Of course, <laughs> I know the story. I didn't know you were going to tell it. I'm really glad you did because not everything went perfectly according to plan. Exactly. Things changed on you and it was very inconvenient in many ways.
1: Yes, and that actually brings out another good point, And I'm glad you brought that oh, up. Oh, we're back because... to this bad meeting with points. <laughs> I, got one in the, I got one in the hopper, so go ahead. <laughs> so to make a very long story short, they actually revoked a huge portion of my yeah. school money because only in the state of Virginia... will the military not award you tuition funds for a religious degree? Only in Virginia. So I was like, "Whoa, is this God's will for me? Like, (laughs) well, I was already in it. um, So it had to continue on. And so all that to say is, obviously looking back, I would say yes, all of that was part of God's plan and will for my life. But that did not mean it all played out 100% perfectly as I imagined or that it all went...
0: And regardless, uh, it's still something he used uh, for you. But I don't know if this is like really misplaced and if it is, you can like shout me out of the city streets. Um, but Soren Kierkegaard made a comment about regardless of which decision you make, you will still find regret. Yes, you know and you it, will. So in, in these decisions, even if you really think it's conventional wisdom, it's the scriptural wisdom and it's not sinful, whether you make that decision or not, it's very likely, in fact, I think almost even fair to expect things will not go as planned and you will certainly encounter regret and it won't be smooth sailing. I, I mean, even the Lord promises you that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So
0: yeah, I don't know, Just I, I would just say keep that in mind and I think in a weird, kind of backwards way, that's a little bit heartening.
1: Yeah, It doesn't absolutely. mean
0: you've like flagrantly gone down the wrong path. Right. It's still something that is useful to
1: God. Right. Man, way to pull out the, the oh, sword and the guard. Oh, golly. That's great. Um, so that is the guidance I would give. At that point, make your decision and go with it and realize you will, of course, have thoughts of a life that could have been mm-hmm. or how things would be different. But as he pointed out, you'll have that no matter what decision you make at any junction exactly. in your life, you have that. So make one. Don't let it immobilize you. Mm-hmm. And and while you're waiting to make some major decision. We say this around the church as a staff that you just, you do the next right thing for the next right reason. Yeah. So, you know, again, God's general will, you love him like no one else. You love your neighbor as yourself. You do the next bit of work that is in your hands today at this moment, do that as if you were doing it for God, because Certainly. you are, which is what Paul says. So hopefully that is helpful Won't um, yeah. immobilize people.
0: Good. I like that. There we go. Our second question comes from Christian Bale. <laughs> Is, no, this does not come from Christian. He's, he's a, I don't know. I like him. I guess that's all I was trying to get to. I was trying to yep. say something positive, but I thought, is this the time? No. <laughs> so, is marriage the only way to fully reflect Christ's relationship with the church? Hmm. Verses like Ephesians 5, 31 to 32 seem to indicate there's something unique about marriage and the gospel that isn't the same for singleness and the gospel.
1: Uh, yes. Hmm. Um, and we just recently finished up a series on marriage and relationships did. Yeah, in yeah, particular, yeah. which I actually found helpful and pretty well executed. I'm not even married. Yeah. But that does bring this question, I think, to the surface. And the verse reference there is where Paul says, the man shall leave his father and mother, mm-hmm. woman, and they will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So, as far as that question goes, I would probably hang on to that word unique. That is the word I would hang on to there because yes, there is something unique about the marriage relationship and the way it's a picture of Christ's relationship with the church that is, as I said, it's unique right. to the marriage relationship. That no other relationship reflects the gospel in that same way. All that to say is marriage is not the only or even the most full way to picture that relationship. Mm. Because you'll remember, actually, that in 1 Corinthians 7, 6-7, through Paul actually says, I wish all of you could be as I am. Which is to say, I wish you could all be single like I am. I wish you weren't married. Um, Because again, the single person is in a unique position Mm. to do the work of God that a married person isn't because the married person has other commitments and concerns now that a single person doesn't have. And the single person reflects the... Relationship of Christ and the church in a unique way because yeah. the single person is demonstrating Christ is satisfying to me and enough for me in a unique way that is different from marriage. We actually addressed this whole topic a little bit more in depth yeah. in another podcast episode. We uh, did, we did, in fact, single and whole. I think is what we titled it. Right? Am I remembering that correctly? Well, I'd have to do my homework. We Something don't have like we don't that. have that person
0: off screen to like do that research for. Us.
1: <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't have someone back there to to do that. Timothy, but, please look that up. <laughs> So let me add this though, because you may want to go back and listen to that. I don't know. As another caveat to all this. Once we start saying there are certain stages of life and that there are certain modes of Mm. being where we more quote unquote fully reflect the gospel and picture Christ's relationship with the church. One thing we're very capable of doing is creating a hierarchy of judgment. Very true. And what I mean by that is I think kind of exemplified with Job and his friends. Job's friends thought that, okay, You're in God's good graces and your life is reflective of your relationship with him if you have your health and you have your wealth and everything is going well for you. And all of that was taken from Job, all of it. And not as a discipline from God, mind you. It just kind of
0: happened. Yeah.
1: And what Job's friends turned and did was basically to say, well, well, you've wronged God, or you're being judged, or we're more holy and you're less. Like, we need to figure that out. And here's the thing I see in American Christianity. We do the same thing in particular around marriage. Yeah, That's a very susceptible area for us. Like, we think, oh, we see a single person who wants the gift of marriage, and we look at them and say, well, you're not married yet. Well, God must, you know, (laughs) we may not say it explicitly like this. right? But our words and attitudes demonstrate we think, ah, you, you, you're you not married yet, so you're a lesser than Christian.
0: We even see a lot of that. I mean, it is ironic that we see so much of that here and now. But you and I saw a lot of that when we were in college. There's a very large kind of weight of expectation put on people surrounding the topic of marriage. Like, you got to have it figured
1: out. Yeah. Well. Ring by spring, I baby. literally have nothing else in my life figured out, <laughs> so. Yeah, and I mean, we do this— All right, not just when it comes to marriage. I think that's a big sensitive point. But I mean, this happens all across the Christian sphere, for lack of a better term, you know, even with things that seem as innocuous as spiritual gifts. It's like, oh, (sighs) if you haven't demonstrated, you know, this spiritual gift, you're a lesser than Christian. I think Paul, you know, whether it's marriage or what have you, I think Paul tells us the, the truly best way to quote unquote fully reflect the gospel later in 1 Corinthians in the same chapter, in fact, is when he said, I wish you were all single. And what he says in 1 Corinthians 7:17 7, is this, only let each person lead the life That the Lord has assigned to them and that God has called them to. Which, in other words, he was saying and getting at, be content with where you are and what you have today.
0: Completely independent of your station.
1: Right. Which is not to say that you can't desire a new station. That you can't have pain and sorrow about something that has come and passed or something that you've missed. Yeah. To go back to our first question. It is to say that there is something about being content wherever you are. In whatever situation, station of life that you're in. That is reflective of a content contentment in the Lord Mm. that really reflects the fulfilling nature of the gospel and who Jesus is for you. Because here's the other tricky reality. No matter whether you're single, married, whatever the case is, there will be moments when you will be tempted to say, I hate where I am and I hate this. And the temptation then will be, God is holding out on me or I've done something maybe wrong. And in those situations, I think it comes back to that, is that the reflection of the gospel is unique to each of us in our life situations. You know, there's a unique picture of the gospel in marriage, just as there's a unique picture of the gospel in singleness. The underlying foundational issue beneath all of that is, are you content where you are with what you have, even as you may be desiring a good gift in the future or maybe feeling sorrow over what has been or what hasn't been yeah so yeah that's that's how i'd answer that
0: question mm. i think that- does it give it does it give, a, does it give a, a, a detailed instruction manual on contentedness <laughs> that's
1: well <laughs> 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 your reaction on oh, my word <laughs> uh, so yeah so there's that
0: well we do have time i don't know if we have time but we nonetheless have one more question yes this one comes from natalie portman <laughs> uh, the song reckless love is god's love actually reckless or nah
1: Ah, uh, yes. I love it. The person who asked this. This may be the single most controversial question ever asked in the history of Christianity. Oh. Forget the Nicene Council. <laughs> Forget Trinitarian Orthodoxy. This is the question. Mm. Uh, I'm joking, of course. I mean, come on. It's, the, I only, mean,
0: <laughs> the only Christian controversy to surpass the flat earth theory. <laughs>
1: Oh, uh, no. All jokes aside, I can understand where I think a lot of people come from yeah, on this question. right. So, let's see if we can sort this puzzle out. And, of course, I say that understanding that what I say will probably not significantly change most people's <laughs> minds. Like, where they've settled is probably where they've settled. But
0: at least it opens the discussion.
1: Yeah. And I think there are solid reasons for what I'm going to say, biblically speaking, and linguistically speaking. So the problem with this song is that words are tricky, obviously. And the problem I think a lot of people have with this song is due to the fact that we have such a negative connotation and impression of the key word of the song, which is (laughs) reckless, right? So I think a common example of this, we talk about reckless driving. That's one of the more common contexts I hear that word used in. And when we hear about reckless driving, you attach that term to stories of like a young teenager who got himself and a friend killed by taking a turn ridiculously fast right. and stories like that i mean they get under our skin of course they make our blood boil and then they wreck our hearts like this sorrow like why would you do that why yeah. would you act so recklessly knowing that you know a car is a dangerous thing and driving it unsafely and yeah you know you could literally get yourself killed why would you do that and get someone else killed in the process so that kind of recklessness is bad and we hate that it gets us So when we hear that God's love is reckless in this song, I think that's the first thing (laughs) that like... Pops up in our minds like our eternal warning sirens go off. Like, yeah. eh, like, wait a minute, what are you saying about God's love? Like, are you saying it's like a teenager in a car going too fast around a turn? I think that's a reasonable concern a theologically, concern, yeah. biblically, all of those things. But here's the thing, okay? Before we take that impression and say that's gospel truth, we have to take words in their context and as the author meant them, right? Which is exactly what we do with the Bible. Right? We, what we do don't you know. Yeah, like we don't take every word in the Bible and say, there's only one meaning for that word and assign that to every word in scripture. You couldn't read the Bible or any book or have a conversation with people. You'd be in trouble. If that's how language worked. So as an example of this, and I'm trying to remember where I first heard this kind of linguistic talk first. I think John Piper, probably, Mm. if we're being real. But Jesus tells us in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoa, Jesus. Oh boy.
0: Hate Hate the people? Hate. Isn't hate equivalent to murder? What?
1: Yeah. Jesus said, like, if you hate your brother, you stand as guilty of murder. And whoa, hold on. Hate the people you're supposed to deeply love, Mm. like all the law and the prophets. And then the rest of the New Testament tell us, honor your parents and love your spouse like no one else on, you know, like what, (laughs) Jesus, what are you saying? Well, it's clear from the rest of scripture, he is not commanding us to literally hate our family as we typically (laughs) understand. Hatred, What he's saying is that following him might require us, perhaps under certain circumstances, to leave our father and mother, and that might look like hatred. To the watching world,
0: My, it's a comparative sort
1: of statement. Yeah, and I mean, and it's very attention grabbing. Even oh, like yeah. you're gonna like it's that's a, gonna who? it's gonna knock you out of your comfort zone and say, "Whoa, wait a minute!" And it's gonna force you to think. Right? Well, let's give the author and writer of this song the same treatment. Okay, right? bud,
0: let's do it. <laughs>
1: like, you know, like let's practice the golden rule with him. You know, let's treat him as. Do we know who it is, by the way? Corey Asbury's, is. All right, he? Corey, we're getting so. To it. <laughs> let's treat him as we would want to be treated. You know, based on how we we'd want the word to be understood in the context of what we're saying. Sure. And just as we do with scripture, right? (laughs) And let's see then if perhaps a different meaning for the word reckless shows up other than what we normally associate with reckless, right? Because that's the other thing about words. They have semantic range. One word does not always mean the same thing. Yeah. Okay. So let's take the song, for instance. One of the first lines is, before I took a breath you breathed your life in me. So right there, the author, the the writer, Corey Asbury, he is making a comment, and however you want to understand this, all right, we're not going to get into the deep theological weeds of that, but however you're understanding this, what he is saying is that God has a measure of control in future events, because the picture there is before I took a physical breath, like in others, before I was born, Yeah, God breathed spiritual life into me. He knew there was going to be new birth. Yeah. All right. However you want to slice that, that's what he's saying. So all that to say, the actual moment that someone believes in God may not happen for years after their birth, certainly, right? Certainly. It may, you know, you may be 10, 20, 30, 40 before that happens. So if that's the case, what the author appears to be saying is God doesn't perceive and look at the future like we do, right? We don't know the future. I don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. So, anything that I do in a certain sense involves a measure of risk. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it does. Not so with God, because He knows all of this. So, in that sense, He's not taking risks in a reckless way, Mm -hmm. like you and I are capable of doing. Because if that were true, if God didn't know the future, let's say, if he couldn't breathe life into you before you actually took a physical breath, then singing the reckless love of God, that would be crazy. You'd be like, oh, I don't want to affirm that. That's frightening, (laughs) you know, like, woo doggy. And you're making a comment about God that is not true. Yeah, that's
0: that's a risk there.
1: But okay, given lines like that one, it appears that what the author is saying is that God's love appears reckless to those who are on the outside, just like Christ's use of the word hate,
0: Mm, right? If you were to take it at face value. Yeah.
1: In strong terms, it looks that way. But even the next line in the chorus, right? Because the chorus goes, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. The next line in the chorus sets that word into context. Are you telling me
0: surrounding context clarifies a confusing sentiment? Whoa. Oh, no.
1: A novel idea, (laughs) right? Because the next line in the chorus says, oh, he chases me down, fights till I'm found. He leaves the ninety-nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a reference to Christ's parable about the shepherd who leaves 99 perfectly good, obedient sheep to go track down and find one stupid sheep who got itself lost. You want you want to know what I thought
0: of when I first heard the 99? Hmm. This is an embarrassing confession moment for me.
1: I'm ready for I'm it. I'm like, "Oh,
0: it's like a highway." Like, uh, <laughs> We're out on the 99 and in a moment, because it was like the first time I heard the song and it was not in a, like a, I I heard a person play. It It wasn't like on the radio. I'm like, what? (laughs) What, Is is this a situation where like, okay, sometimes John Mark uses like road imagery. Right. I'm like, oh, the 90, the 99? (laughs) I was confused. And like
1: three weeks later, I'm like, oh, duh, it's the she. Yeah. So to the common observer, a shepherd leaving 99 perfectly good sheep to track down one stupid sheep that got itself into that mess, that looks stupid. They look at him and say, you're being reckless. Get back to your 99 good sheep. Like, don't worry about that one sheep or send someone else to get that sheep. But the shepherd knows exactly what he's doing because, of course, in the parable, the shepherd is God, Mm. right? And the shepherd knows exactly what he's doing. And as a matter of fact, scripturally speaking, what appears foolish and reckless to the world is the wisdom of God. That's what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians. That's a callback.
0: Look at that.
1: Yeah. So in that sense, yes, God's love is reckless. Zach and I were talking about this earlier, mm-hmm. our worship director at Lost Creek, of course. And once again, God's love appears reckless because he knows. He knows that when his son comes to earth, he's going to be abused, betrayed, murdered, and that his own people are going to reject him. Knowing all that, he comes anyway. Yeah. That is, to the outside onlooker, reckless. Very it's true. unsafe. Right it's a lack of regard for your own well-being hmm. for the sake of someone else exactly that appears reckless so in that sense yes god's love is the zenith and the <sighs> the perfect example yeah. of recklessness and so biblically Theologically and linguistically, I have no problem singing it. And I think it's a wonderful song mm-hmm. myself. Now, I do want to say, I do want to make a concession, okay? Okay. If that word still bothers you, because I understand, you know, I have cases where certain words are a hang-up for me.
0: Oh, I get that too, yeah. You know what I
1: mean? Even if you explain it, and I agree with your argument and your reasoning, there may be this, and I don't say irrational part of me to say that these people are irrational. You're being irrational, you know? But there are certain things that just hang you up. Oh, sure. And Paul says in Romans that whatever doesn't proceed from faith, that is sin to you. So, if it's an issue of your conscience Mm. where it's like, I just cannot wrap my mind around reckless, like even if you're trying out of goodwill and good heart to understand the reasoning and the logic behind the song, it's still a hang up for you. Don't let that ruin the song for (laughs) you. Like, Maybe when you're singing that song, you know, you don't have to stand there with your arms crossed and just say, I'm not singing this song at all, okay? Like, um, maybe substitute, okay, when everyone else is singing Reckless, maybe you sing, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, wondrous love of God.
0: I do substitutes all the time. Yeah. I do it just because I'm an an emotional little dork, but, you know, that's beside the point. I gotta make it real. I gotta make it heighten the emotion.
1: (laughs) No, but I do that a lot. I actually, I love that. Yeah. As another example of that, there's a line in the song, "Mighty to Save. I give my life to follow everything I believe in. Mm. Now I surrender. I will sometimes take a lyric like that and I'll say, help me give my life to follow yeah, everything exactly. I believe in. Because, it creates
0: a more honest and personal response.
1: Yeah had to say is if you feel extremely uncomfortable and strongly about the word reckless maybe sing about the wondrous love of God no
0: judgment there yeah
1: I mean that's a word that's used for God's love and all kinds of hymns and songs so pfft, fit that right in there absolutely Whew. that was fun feeling good yeah me too I think all right we'll see you know if anyone's upset with the answers or you know disagrees vehemently you know soon enough I'm sure right
0: <laughs> you know where to send your
1: emails yeah podcast at horizonschurch.net or interact with us on social media absolutely. Facebook Instagram keep an eye out for maybe more polls yeah more AM i like doing these and we can bring in maybe we'll do an ama for you oh whoa buckle up
0: (laughs) i don't know why i said that i just i think i just wanted to
1: that's all right you say it you say it oh hey thanks as always for listening and we'll catch you next time